You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Is the coffee good this morning out there? If not, talk to Dave. He made it. No, we're so glad to have you here this morning. We love getting together and worshiping with you guys. And uh, I just want to brag on you for a little bit. This week or last weekend, we announced that we needed some help in the school. And you guys rose to the occasion, helping put stuff together and do all kinds of stuff. We had over 200,000 volunteer hours put in last week by you guys. Yes. That is a huge deal. 110,000 pages collated, 60 textbooks covered, six IKEA. Now, that, that word speaks a lot right there. Six IKEA wardrobes, two bookcases, and two chairs. And y'all all did it. And we really, really appreciate it. When we ask and we say there's a need and you guys step up like that, that just makes us really proud. So give yourselves a hand. That was awesome. Um, I get the honor to announce your speaker today. He's a great friend. Uh, He's growing to be more of a friend. He came last time. We saw him down in Florida at a conference, and he absolutely shredded it. But let me give you a little bit of his bio here. Ben Shetler is the founder for the Center for Truth and Love, an organization that seeks to equip believers in apologetics, biblical worldview, cultural engagement through digital resources and conferences. He was also the Faith Outreach Advisor for Dr. Ben Carson's presidential campaign. He has a wife, a son, and they live in Florida, and he's a great friend of ours. I think y'all are going to really enjoy this. Give it up for Ben Shetler. Well, good morning to you. I'm glad you're here. You're stuck with me today. Only one person laughed. Everyone else cried. Uh, Man, how many are awake today? How How many still sleeping? Yeah, they didn't raise their hands because they're still sleeping. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Oh, so I did not know this was in my notes today. This was on my, so I have a two-year-old. Just one. That's all you need. So my son left this for me. You want to see it? How many know that you must have children to appreciate this? <laughs> like, like only mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa appreciate this. No one else. Unless you put it in like the Museum of Modern Art, then it's, it's a million dollar painting right there. My son um, was playing outside with his mother. Uh, by the water in the sand. And uh, she looked away for just a second. How many know that kids do dumb things? How many know that? All right. How many are a kid and know that you do dumb? Yeah, I am. You know, all the middle schoolers. That's what I do. That's, That's what being in middle school means, doing dumb things. I'm not being unkind. I'm just saying that's what it is, you know. Um. So my son is by the water, and my wife looks, looks away for like one second, and she turns back. And there's Cranston with his tongue out, and he has grown a beard of mud just coming down his chin. And his whole tongue is filled with dirt and mud. And he had decided to eat some dirt. He's dumb. <laughs> I mean, he's a great artist. <laughs> you say, you're so mean to your son. I lo- I'm missing him so much right now. I'm sorry. Um, he won't do that again. Because his mom walked over there, and he's over there. He doesn't really even know how to spit yet, but he's like, fat, fat, fat. Oh, this is gross. And she, she's rinsing his tongue out with water and everything and getting them all cleaned up. And... Uh, he learned. How many know in our world there's a lot of mud to eat? There's a lot of things that aren't good for you that you can eat or that you can put in your body. And how many know that the devil 
wants to deceive us, to make us think that what is bad for us is good for us. And uh, thankfully, God has given us his word that can be a guide for us to know what is good for us. That is a guide to say, hey, Ben, why do I need to come to church? Why do I need to be here? Because you need to know what the word says so that you can know what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong so that you don't make the wrong decisions. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to look this morning. Or this morning. And I do believe that this message, I run an organization called the Center for Truth and Love, and we equip believers to speak truth in a loving way. And I believe Christianity is divided. On one hand, you have the people that want to be loving, and uh, oftentimes culture says, well, you can't speak what the Bible says. On the other hand, you have some people that do speak, but they're so unloving, you wish they would be silent. Have you ever met that person before? Well, God hasn't called us to silence, and he hasn't called us to unkindness. He has called us to speak what is true in a loving way. And this morning... I want to do, the Bible talks about preaching and teaching. I certainly want to do some preaching, but I also want to do some teaching. How is it that I, as a believer, can patiently and kindly speak or teach what is true? Um, and uh, maybe you've heard phrases like this in our culture that kind of push us away from our truth. Have you ever heard someone say, love is love? And then use that to apply the opposite definition that the Bible gives to marriage. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard someone say, don't judge me? You ever heard that before? But have you ever heard someone say it in a place where I'm like, well, I don't know what to say to that, but you should not be doing that. Oh, don't judge me. Ever heard that one before? Maybe you've heard this one before. It's a little sobering. But my body, my choice. Well, do we believe that as Christians? What does the Bible say? And, and how do I speak truth in a loving way to someone that might say, my body, my choice? How does the Bible speak? Several years ago, I was... Uh, um, I, well, I, I, was, I, I had a pastor friend call me and he said, we're doing uh, uh, you know, a conference in uh, January and uh, this pastor pastored a very influential church in the Bahamas. And he said, Ben, would you uh, like to come or would you be able to come and speak for our conference in the Bahamas in January? And so I prayed very hard about it and I felt <laughs> like this was the Lord leading me. And uh, before I went overseas, how many have been to Bahamas before? All right. before, before I went overseas, my father-in-law had gotten into this show, I think it's on National Geographic, called Locked Up Abroad. Anybody ever heard of this before? And Locked Up Abroad is just a bunch of people that went overseas and they had horror story experiences and, uh, and they document, and a lot of times they're like, maybe they smuggle drugs over, or in some cases, like, something happened to them, and, um, and, uh, and uh, there, you know, something terrible happened. And, uh, and so, so, you, so these people wind up getting locked up abroad. And then instead of being in the American justice system, they're in some third world country and it does not go well. Well, we watched the marathon of Locked Up Abroad and then I went abroad. <laughs> and uh, we land, um, you know, at the Nassau airport there and we're taxiing. I never heard this happen, uh, happen before. The, the pilot gets on the horn and he says, Ben Shetler, Ben Shetler, if you're on, that's my name. Uh, if you're on this, on this plane, please hit your call button. So I hit a call button. Then he said it again. He said, Ben Shetler, Ben Shetler, if you're on this plane, please hit the call button. So I turned it off and then turned it on again. And by this time, everybody on the plane is looking around like, why is, who is Ben Shetler and why is he, you know, it was really weird. Then the flight attendant comes walking back and all of a sudden the mood on the plane changed. Because whoever Ben Shetler was, it did not, not look like it was good to be him. The flight attendant comes all the way to my row with my call button, and she goes, are you Ben Shetler? And I said, no, I hit the button for that guy over there. <laughs> Let me direct you. I think I saw his passport. Uh, I said, yes, I am. She said, please come with me to the back of the plane. 
Now, the front of the plane is where they put the important people. In case you don't know how bad how planes work, the back of the plane is where they put the trash. <laughs> Literally, not the people. So they said, come to the back of the plane. So I follow her to the back. Now, we're standing in the galleyway, and this woman is like, up, she is trying to stay as far away from me as she can. Like, I am radioactive. And I am scared now. Because I just saw eight episodes of Locked Up Abroad. <laughs> And this is exactly how it begins. And so I am thinking, I am headed to a Bahamian prison, and I will never see the light of day again. It is over. And so I say, ma'am, as, as kindly and as patiently as I could, I said, ma'am, as far as I know, I have done nothing wrong. I said, do you know what is happening? And she calms down a little bit because she can see that I am even more scared than she is. And she goes, I have been a flight attendant for over 20 years and this has never happened. <laughs> she said the Bahamian military, not the police, the military is waiting to escort you off the plane. I said, I'm going to Guantanamo. I just, what, what have I done? And I said, I, I said, I don't, I said, I don't know what's going on. I said, I, 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 don't, I don't think I've done anything wrong. Then she says these words to comfort me. This is how dire the situation is. She goes, well, is it possible that one of your family members has died? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. So either I'm going to prison or my mother's funeral. This ain't looking good. Everyone clears off the plane and they were not exaggerating. There were two Bahamian military officials that looked as sharp as sharp could be. You know, if you're not American military, I'm biased. I mean, they look sharp. I remember as a male and female, and this man, he said that he was, he was probably the tallest guy in the Bahamas. I mean, he was eight foot tall. I mean, he was tall. And uh, he had what looked like a kind of like a marine dress uniform with like, like a khaki top and like gold buttons going up. And he had his hat under his arm and he had this baton and it had this like gold or brass, you know, top to it. And I thought, I'm going to get beat with that thing in a back room in a second. <laughs> and he's standing there in attention. There's this lady standing next to her and she had this beautiful white dress uniform um, with black buttons and a long white skirt. And they looked sharp. And uh, they, I got to the plane and they said, uh, sir, are you Mr. Ben Shetler? And I was like, yes, you know, take me away. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And they said, sir, we would like to welcome you to the nation of the Bahamas. You, sir, are our honored guest. Look back at that flight attendant and I said, maybe your mom is dead. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> yeah, this is the way to be. And I was given the escort of a dignitary entering the nation of the Bahamas by these two people. I'm going through, it's January in the Bahamas. The line for customs is like a mile. Have you ever been to the custom line? And then you see way down in the corner, it says diplomats. That's where I went. The center for truth and love. We, we come into the Bahamas. And they just put me, they, they just stamp, they asked me no questions. I handed them my pet. They said, do you have your passport here? Stamp it. Anything you want to do. When I left, I didn't even go through security. I'm like, I could have smuggled anything. <laughs> uh, the church that I was ministering at was, as I mentioned, was very influential in the nation, and they had members of parliament attending there, and one of their attenders was a guy who was entire, in charge of every flight that entered Bahamian airspace, and then everything below that. 
and he had arranged a special escort for their guest. And he typically arranged escorts for like when the Queen of England came, like when the ambassador from the United States, and of course, Ben Shetler. Um, <laughs> that's a true story. In 1 Peter 3, the Bible says this. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And neither, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready, listen to this, always to give an answer of every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Here's what this passage is saying. That there are going to be people that call the good that you hold, the good that you do, the good that you have, evil. And in those scenarios, you as a believer need to be able to turn around and say, no, no, what I am doing is good. The person I represent is good. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross for you. He rose again. And by faith alone in him, you can have everlasting life. Our world, much like that plane, is filled with people that tell you what's waiting for you is evil and bad. But can I tell you the truth of the Bible? That those that have received Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has arranged a special escort. His name is Jesus. To escort you into the family of God. Not the nation of the Bahamas, though I'm thankful for the nation of the Bahamas. Into the family of God. And there's a whole lot of flight attendants in this world. And I don't mean to be unkind to this lady. She didn't know. But there's a whole lot of people in this world through their ignorance that call this book evil when it really is good. We have to be ready to give an answer for the good that this book has. And the Bible teaches that. When the culture says, hey, be aware, watch out, the Bible is no good, we have to say, no, 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 the Bible is good. And we have to do so in a way that is loving, that is kind, but also isn't silent, but stands up and speaks. So how do we do that? How do we, with compassion, speak the truth in love. That's what I want to talk about today. And uh, this is what the Bible commands us. That whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation. How do we do that? Well, today is going to be very much a teaching lesson. We're going to learn, and I've got three points because the book of Second Opinions teaches that you're supposed to have three points. Um, that's not a real book in the Bible. Um, the, the, uh, so I've got three points today, and I challenge you, even if you're not a note taker, I do challenge you to take notes today because um, I'm going to give you three things to give some answers to some of these things. What do I say to that, that phrase, love is love? What do I say to don't judge me? What do I say to... Um, some of these phrases when people are taking the truth of the Bible and somewhat twisting it. And uh, I, I talked with a, uh, a teacher afterwards, and she said, you know, when I hear these phrases in my classroom, she teaches in public school, she goes, I'm an English teacher. And she goes, I'm really good at twisting words, so, so I, can, I can twist, you know, what they say back to the truth. And I said, actually, what you're doing is untwisting. Because our culture is the one that's twisting the truth, and you're untwisting the truth. But how do I do that? And I've noticed, I'm looking out here. How many parents do we have out here today? How many of your parents are parents of kids that eat mud? Okay, that's me. I'm the, you know. <laughs> how many grandparents do we have today? All right, a lot of grandparents. See, this is not only essential for us to know, but let me tell you something, parents and grandparents. You cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give your, your children and grandchildren the truth if you don't have the answers yourselves. 
And so we have to be equipped to do this. So I want to give you three things. How is it that I am prepared or ready to give an answer to these things? Step number one, and we're going to look at the Bible's kind of model for doing this. Step number one is to discern what is being said. Discern what is being said. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, that is not on this. I've got to, now I've got to switch back. Here we go. Proverbs uh, Chapter 8, verse 13 said, It is foolish for a man to answer a matter that he hasn't heard the whole, or, or to answer a thing before he hears the whole matter. Have you ever been in an argument with your husband or your wife? I'm sure this is a good church. You don't argue in your, but, but I do. So you ever been in an argument with your husband or wife and you gave an answer before you heard the whole thing? How'd that go for you? The Bible says you're counted a fool if you answer before you hear the whole thing. Have you ever been watching cable news and someone has answered something before they heard the old thing? No, all the time on cable news, they let the other person talk and finish what they're saying, right? See, we have a culture that does not listen, and we need to discern what is being said. So here's a key question for you. What do you mean by that? So I hear something that I don't agree with. I want to ask the question, well, hey, what do you mean by that? And this can apply to anything. I use it all the time in my marriage. In fact, sometimes I'll do it. My wife will say something. I disagree with it. I'm rather going, dearest, you are wrong. What do I say? What do you mean by that? For several reasons. One. It gives me time to bash her argument into the ground. No, why did I think? Well, one, maybe the words I'm hearing mean something different than what my wife's trying to communicate. So maybe I heard something, but that's not what she was trying to say, or vice versa. So I want to ask, what do you mean by that? And when I'm dealing with a skeptic, and I, I talk with atheists, and they, I have great conversations. Some of my best friends, I like them better than Christians sometimes. I, I don't mean to be, I mean, some of my best friends are atheists because they're willing to do the same for me. Oh, Ben, what do you mean by that? And then I ask them, well, well, what do you mean by that? And we have a good dialogue, and we have to Listen. See, we're answering before we hear the whole matter. And if we don't listen, we cannot effectively give an answer. Number one, discern what is being said. I'm telling you, this will transform your marriage. And I do it, I do it to my wife and she'll go like, you're using your stuff on me. But then she uses it on me. So it gives clarity. Hey, before I, before I start disagreeing with you, what do you mean by that? Is that fair? Did you get that? Okay, so that's step one. You're halfway there. Third of the way there. Hello? Okay, okay, we're good. There's a lot of energy in this section over here. I like these people. All right. Number two. Demonstrate the logical flaw. Demonstrate the logical flaw. Now, this is true. All truth is God's truth. God has revealed truth in two ways. One, through creation. We call that general revelation. Two, through scripture, we call this special revelation. We can learn about God in the Bible, but do you know you can also learn about God in the trees and in the ocean and in the world he made? We can learn all kinds of things about him. So the truth, uh, so here's the reality though. There is nothing in the world that is true that conflicts with Scripture. Now, sometimes there are some things that, you know, I may not get right. Like, I may discern this wrong. But, but there's nothing that is untrue. So, here's the reality. If someone is claiming something that you disagree with, one of two things is true. Either one, you're wrong. Right? I, I like the t-shirt that says, I'd agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. That's funny. Come on. <laughs> so it's possible the other way, right? So I disagree with you, and the reason is because I'm wrong, right? That's a possibility. The, the other possibility is that because you disagree with them, the person you disagree with is wrong. Now, here's the thing. Nothing that is true will conflict with Scripture. That's how good this book is. So if somebody is challenging what Scripture says, 
then they're wrong. And I don't mean to be that unkind. This settles it. But sometimes there's some other things where I have to look. And it's general revelation. And we have to look. So if someone is wrong, it will not be consistent with the world that God made. Have you ever said, heard somebody say something? That just doesn't make any sense at all. Why? Because it's not consistent with the world. This was my favorite joke. I shouldn't tell you this, but this was my favorite joke in high school. When you're rolling your jet ski down the river and one of the wheels falls off, how many pancakes does it take to cover a doghouse? The answer, do you know? Somebody said five. That was a good guess. But the correct answer is purple because ice cream has no bones. That is the correct answer to that. Okay. I used to think that was hilarious. Why? Because it makes no sense whatsoever. It is totally illogical. I'm going to get to this in just a second, but it's not logical to me if something inside a woman has hands and feet and legs and arms and a beating heart, it's not logical to me to say that's not a person. It doesn't, it's not logical. The truth, and when you know the truth, what does that do? That brings life. And the Bible says when we know the truth, the truth will make us free. It gives freedom. So we have to demonstrate how that's not logical. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, verse 5, it says, Don't answer a fool according to his folly, otherwise he will be wise in his own conceit. So what we have to do is demonstrate the logical flaw, not answer a fool according to his folly. All right? So uh, demonstrate the logical flaw. Discern what's being said. And then I ask the question, how is this inconsistent? And then I have to do this. I have to think. You know, it's very disappointing to see so many in, in churches not think anymore. And God wants us to think. Do you know the Bible says how we love God? Some people say, oh, you know, I know the two commandments, love God and love others. That's not the full commandment. The commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul. And do you know what the third one is? Say it out if you know it. Mind. And a lot of Christians are only loving God with their heart and they're not loving God with their mind. We need to start thinking. That's how you love God with your mind. All right. Number three, are you ready? I do like this church. You guys are so nice and you give such good feedback. Someone's going to bring a tomato next time. Get off the stage. Number three, direct them to the Word of God. Now, the discipline that we're dealing with, there's a, you know, theologians come up with names for stuff. And uh, what we're talking about is called apologetics. It actually comes from this Greek word here in 1 Peter 3.15, apologia, um, uh, uh, giving, giving an answer, being ready, being ready. And, um, and, and so, so this, uh, this concept of, of apologia, of apologetics, Oftentimes people, apologists in the past, have been like, well, you know, we discern what's being said, and then we demonstrate the logical flaw, and then their last D is dance on the grave of their defeated idea, right? You know, ha, 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 you're wrong, I'm right. And that really shouldn't be the attitude of the church. Lastly, we need to go, okay, so this is how this is wrong. Now let me show you what is right. Let me direct you to the truth of the word of God. And that's what real love does. And so how do I do that? Number one, I need to, I need to submit and I need to ask this question, who is the authority? This is one of the things moral relativism has done in our culture is it has negated God's authority in our life. And so we need to ask that question, who's the authority? And then once we determine what is true from the Bible, we have to submit to that. All right, so discern what's being said, demonstrate the logical flaw, direct them to the word of God. Is that something that you could apply? Is that simple enough for you to get? All right, I'm getting a lot of nods. If not, I can go over it twice. But how about we give some application here? How about we use some of these? Let's start with a very famous one in our culture. Don't judge me. Have you heard this before? Now, what do we do in step one? I gave it to you. Can you say it out loud if you remember it? Discern what is being said. So I'm asking the question. Do you remember it? 
What do you mean by that? Now, is it right or wrong to judge? Well, it depends. Jesus said, don't judge, lest ye be judged. And he was talking about hypocrisy. He's saying, you Pharisees are over here going like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And you've got way more wrong in your life. Who are you to say that anything's wrong? That's what Jesus was talking about. But if you go to 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says the spiritual man judges all things. So when do we judge? It is right for us to say that some behavior is wrong. Wouldn't you agree? Somebody comes and punches you in the face. You go, why did you do that? They say, don't judge me. That doesn't work very well. So it's not that it's wrong to assess behavior. But let's dig into this. What do people mean when they say don't judge me? Well, first of all, they don't mean they're a judge. You know, you're not wearing a black, they don't think you're wearing a black robe. You're walking around Walmart with a gavel. That'd be kind of fun. You should not be wearing that. That says public. That's not what they mean, right? They mean don't form an opinion about my behavior. That's what they mean, right? They're saying, hey, don't don't form an opinion about my behavior. And really, they mean something even more specific. So this is what we're doing. We're thinking through what they say. What do they mean even more specific? They mean don't form a negative opinion about my behavior. So I go up to, or like, you know, right now I say, hey, Pastor Luke, thank you so much for that nice introduction. Thank you so much for being such a cool guy. You're a sharp dresser. You have cool shoes. At the end of the service, he walks up to me and he goes, Ben, how dare you judge me? I say, what? Well, you said I was a nice person. You don't know my heart. No one is bothered by positive judgments, are they? No one's bothered by compliments then what do they specifically mean? They mean don't form a negative opinion about my behavior. Now think about this. This is where we have to think. Isn't it true that sometimes we do have to form negative opinions about people's behavior? I'm not talking about being hateful. I'm saying what you're doing is wrong. If you don't agree, let me give you an example. This is one you could use. Let's say we were talking about Walmart before. Let's say you and I go to Walmart. We're going through today and we're piling up our carts and we head out to the checkout station and you go to go uh, to one of the cashiers and I just start rolling out of the store. And you say, oh, hey, Ben, Ben, you forgot to pay. I say, no, no, I did not forget. I identify as a non-paying person. That's how I identify us. You can be who you want. I will be who I want. I am non-paying. So, do not try this. (laughs) Woo! So I roll out to the car and I start unloading my things and Walmart security comes and they say, Sir, we have called the police. Do not go anywhere. You have stolen that stuff. And I say, Oh, no, no, no. I did not steal. I identify as non-paying. And he goes, I don't care what you identify as. You're going to jail, buddy. I say, what you don't understand is that when I pay for things, I get anxiety because I have less money and I, I need money to pay my bills and things. And when I have less money, I get anxiety and I also get depression because I'm like, I don't know. I got to go get a job and I don't like working. That sounds terrible. So I get anxiety and depression when I pay. So I am now identifying as a non-paying person. And so you, sir, are a terrible person because you're judging me. Have you heard some similar things to that in our culture? That is a level of untruth that our world has gotten, and it's because we're calling evil good and good evil, and it's all twisted, and what we need are some believers with patience and love to stand up and say, no, that's wrong. Because I love you, there are certain ways that you need to live that are better for the flourishing of our culture at large. Don't judge me. Hey, as believers... We don't need to judge people's hearts because we don't know them. I don't know your hearts. It's not my job to judge, but I can judge what you're doing. I can judge that. 
And I need to make sure, first of all, that my heart is clean before the Lord. Before I go. But, but if you're over here, I mean, my goodness, we need to make judgments in this nation. Oh, man, there was a movie that just came out. I haven't seen it. I, I'll be honest, I don't want to see it. But, but, but uh, uh, the sound of freedom, my goodness, we need to judge people that are doing what is wrong to children. And it needs to stop. And it needs to stop immediately. There's some things in our culture that we have to say, hey, look, this is evil. And because I love you, I will not stand for it. Don't judge me. Let's do another one real fast. You ready for another one? Love is love. Have you heard this? Oftentimes this is used in the context of saying, well, anybody can marry anybody because love is love. Now, love is love is what we call a tautology. You're just saying something. Do you know you can put is between anything and it's true? Peace is peace. Correct. That is correct. Joy is joy. Kangaroo is kangaroo. It's just a tautology. You're just saying words. I agree. Love is love. Who can disagree with that? So I have to discern what's being said. My question is, when you say love is love, what do you mean by that? And just to cut to the chase, here's what it's meant. That any expression, as long as I call it loving, is love. Anything can be love. Well, let's think about that in the real world. I get done with the service here and... You know, some of you are nice enough to come by the table out there and say hello to me, and I punch everybody that comes by in the face. <laughs> Pastor, tough love. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, I know what you need today, a punch in the face. That's why I go to church every Sunday. I need someone to punch me in the face. Pastor Luke comes up to me, he goes, Ben. He's like, you know, we're glad you're here, but typically at our church, I don't know what you guys do down in Florida, but we do not punch people in the face here. <laughs> now, why is that funny to say? And I say to Pastor Luke, well, that's how I express love. I love people by punching them. Now, why is that? Why is that a little funny? Because you know what love is and love doesn't punch people in the face. See, our culture has lost the definition of love. And when you lose the definition of love or uh, when you don't have truth, you can't have love. You can't have real love because we don't have the truth about love. And so here's what we need to do. When we demonstrate the logical flaw, we can't say, well, any expression of love is valid. There are some expressions that are not valid. So then we need to go to the word of God to say, what is loving and what isn't? And you'll find in 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says this about love, that it's patient, that it's kind, that it endures. But it also says this about love, that it does not rejoice in iniquity. Love does not rejoice in sinfulness. What does the Bible say about identity and marriage? Once we know what the Bible says, then I cannot rejoice in the opposite of what the Bible says. So I've got to find out what the Bible says regarding that. We don't have time to get into that today. Um, but it does talk about it, and it's very clear. It's very clear. All right. Uh, then the last one, and this is important, and then we'll be done. Are you ready to be done? I probably went too long anyways, but, but I'm going for it. I drove all the way here. It's a 10-minute drive this morning. Now, I'm from Florida, Pensacola. It was long. There was a lot of traffic yesterday. All right. Last one uh, that, I'll, that I'll tackle today is my body, my choice. Have you heard this one before? Now, here's the thing. I believe the Bible teaches my body, my choice. So what do you mean by that? It teaches that. It teaches personal autonomy. I am not going to stand and give an account before God for what you do. 
You're responsible for those choices. You will stand before God for your choices. It is your body. It is your choice. This is why I don't believe that we force people into conversion. In fact, you can't force somebody to be saved. It is their body. It is their choice. This is what the Bible teaches. So when some people say, oh, you know, Ben, I don't know why, why you conservatives won't, you know, we should let the government choose what you inject into your body. You have to do it. I say no, because it's my body. It's my choice. Okay. Then can't a mother abort her baby if it's her body. Well, this is the problem. The baby is a different body. That's how we demonstrate what's going on here. Now, I literally, for our podcast three days ago, just interviewed um, pro-life doc. His name is William Lyle, Dr. Bill Lyle. Dr. Lyle came to our studios and he shows up in scrubs and he's like, oh no, I didn't know this podcast was going to be videoed. He literally walked out of a C-section that he had just performed, cleaned up, got in the car and came in his scrubs. This man delivers, he's delivered over 4,000 babies. And uh, he's sitting there and he said he was speaking at the University of Florida. And he was explaining what he calls patient's Rights. And if you're not in the medical profession, I'll tell you, every patient has the right to be treated with dignity, respect, and every patient has the right to medical services in the United States if they need them, whether they can pay or not. Any medical professional will tell you that you treat someone. So he asked this question. He said, I've got a question. We have a patient, a hypothetical patient that has a heart problem that needs an operation and needs a blood transfusion. He says the problem is this patient was not born in the United States. Should we treat the patient? Atheist on the back row stands up and says, Dr. Lyle, we have been taught that every patient has rights and whether they were born in Mexico or whether they were born in, on the continent of Africa or Europe or whether they were born in the United States, if they're here and they need a surgery, we treat them with respect and I would treat that. And every doctor in here knows that or every med student in here knows that. He said, well, I didn't finish the story. He said, the patient has not been born yet. What would you do then? Let's say excited people in here today. They see where I'm going. He on the podcast just told us about a baby that, they just, that, that had a tumor on its heart. 27 weeks. They opened up the mother. They gave her an epidural. She was awake for the surgery. They opened her up. And then they, op- they pulled the baby's right arm out. Pulled the baby's left arm out. Pulled the baby out. Put an IV in the arm put the baby under anesthesia, cut the baby's chest open, removed the tumor, sutured the baby back up, put everything back inside, and the baby was born at full term. Woo! Yeah! You're telling me that we can operate on it, but it's not a life? That's a patient. And a patient is a person, and a person has rights. That's his body. When mothers get pregnant, they don't have four arms and four legs. That's a different person. And so what we have to do as a church is not just say, well, just keep the baby. What we have to do is come alongside and say, I love you. What can I do to support you? What do you need? How can I help you? What can I do? Because this is a life, and this life matters. How can I support you? It's a different body, so it should have its own choice. Did that make sense today? Was that helpful to you? Let me give a, as as we conclude today, let me give you one illustration and we'll be done. I was at Texas A&M 
And there was an apologist just talking with students, and there was a young lady who was so confused, I could tell, and she was asking this guy questions. They were going back and forth, and I remember she finally said, she said, what you're saying isn't true. She said, I grew up in a Christian school and in a church. I know the Bible better than you do. And I'll never forget the man stopped, and he said, oh, if you knew this book and knew how to apply it, you would not be so confused as you are. And as a conversation continued, I saw a young girl really encounter truths that she had never thought about before. I'm like, how could she go to a church in a Christian school? Imagine with me, uh, if you will, just for a second, a restaurant that brags about how good its salt is. It's got the best salt in the world. We procure it from the greatest minds. It's a Himalayan salt. It's got the perfect color pink in it. Some of you are going like, I don't like Himalayan salt. But, but anyways, they go, we, our salt is the best. So you go to this restaurant and you start eating the food and all of a sudden it's really bland. So you call your waitress over and you say, what is going on? This food is bland. I thought you had the best salt. And they say, oh, our salt is so good. We don't put it on the food. What's the point of having salt if you don't put it on the food? Here's what we've done in the church today. Is we have said the truth of the Bible is so good, but we're not going to apply it to the world we live in. In the book of Matthew 5.13, the Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth. We as believers must Speak what is true. If we remain silent, we're not being salt. And this is what the Bible says. And if the salt has lost its saltiness, it is then good for nothing. Can I tell you, believers, I don't want to be a dad that knows the Bible but doesn't teach it to my son because then I'm good for nothing. I don't want to be a mom. I'm just telling you, I don't want to be a mom. <laughs> I may identify as a non-paying person. I can guarantee I will never identify as a mom. <laughs> Not capable. But moms... If you aren't able to give your children how the Bible applies to your life... Grandparents, co-workers, we have to apply the Bible's truth to our culture. And it's time for the church to stop being silent and stand up with love and compassion and say what is true and be the salt we need to be. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Who'd say, Ben, today I was convicted about speaking truth and love? Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. And you say, Ben, I need to be better at speaking truth and love. And I'm going to work at it. This is going to be, I'm done being silent. I need to speak, but I've got more to learn. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I'd love to just pray for you. Many hands. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You can put those down. So let, let me pray for you. Let me ask you this. Is there anyone that's dealing with somebody that is that this person, that the person you're dealing with is struggling with truth and you're trying to give them truth and you're concerned about them today? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? The Lord sees that and says, I want to pray for those people. Hey, I'm talking with somebody. They need the truth. Many up in the balcony and around. Let's pray for them as well. Thank you. Uh, Heavenly Father, today we thank you for the truth of your word and for the guide that it is. And Father, I ask that we would not be a church that's good for nothing, but we would be a church that speaks what is true in your love, that we would be the salt you've called us to be. And so, Lord, if there's things that people here need to learn more today, I pray that they would take the time to get into your word and take the time to learn how to speak. And then, Lord, there were many hands, many hands represented by a friend, a family member, a co-worker, somebody that needs to know the truth and has lost their way. Father, would you equip these believers to speak truth to that person in love? And Father, might your Holy Spirit be our guide. Help us to have a good conscience, as your word says, that you might be glorified with our speech in Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen. Hey, let me give you some resources that can help you speak the truth in love. The first is our website that's filled with videos. Our television show is archived here. Our curious conversation, you can go to the centerfortruthandlove.org and it is filled with free resources to help you speak truth in love. I also have a YouTube channel if you'd like to go there. Then I want to give you a free book. Who likes stuff for free, all right? So uh, if you text the word prepared to the number 33777. That will get you a book on how to speak the truth in love. That has videos in that book. It's an ebook. Uh, we will email that to you and it is absolutely free. So if you text the word prepared to the number 33777. Now we'll leave that up for a second and there's one more resource I want to tell you about. That is our gospel evidences resource. Does God exist? Is the Bible reliable? Uh, uh, the problem of evil and the resurrection, all of those are covered in this resource. If you would like to get that, we are literally a week or two away from releasing that online. I think for individuals, it's $30, but today. Uh, out at the table, you can scan a QR code, or if you don't do QR codes, you can fill out a card. I will give that resource to you for a donation of any amount. So if you want to give $5, you want to give $100, whatever, uh, a donation of any amount, I'd love to give that resource to you. We actually have a video trailer for it, and then I'll turn the service over to Pastor Luke. Thank you so much, Cathedral family, for allowing me to come today. It's been a wonderful privilege. Our culture is increasing in skepticism. Therefore, they want scientific verification and increased evidences. And when you look at the gospel, the gospel is certainly entered into by faith, but many believers refuse to even give the evidence that underpins the gospel. This is contrary to the command in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be ready to give an answer, and the subsequent verses which say that the answer should be so effective that those that challenge the Christian faith should be somewhat embarrassed that they would raise the objection because the answer is so good. Most believers are not equipped to fulfill this command. And so we wanted to create a resource that would cover the most basic objections to the Christian faith and provide evidence that the believer can offer. Does God exist? Is the Bible reliable? Why does God allow evil? And did Jesus rise from the dead? Those are the four objections that cover the scope of the gospel and that you'll find in our gospel evidences resource. I'm very excited about this. Hey, give it up for Ben one more time. That helped in a lot of ways. I think it's going to help me get out of the check for lunch today. Um, uh, really seriously, though, his resources, we, I watch him a lot, and he gives us uh, so many good tools. And I don't know about y'all, but we're trying to raise a generation that is salty. And we want to be able to have that truth. We want to be able to have that love in them. And I'm not just trying to be one-sided here and give them high fives all day long. I want to give them stuff that's going to be used for the rest of their life when they go off to college and they get out into the world. They have tools they can use to counteract some of the things they're going to hear. So I, he'll be in the foyer. He'll be out there. You can meet him. Come get his stuff. He's give you his website. Let's pray real quick and we'll head out. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for Ben and what he's doing. I thank you for his organization. Lord, I pray that your strongest angels go and protect that organization. Protect him. Lord, I pray that he gets to speak life throughout this whole nation. And Lord, I pray that you bless this congregation. Lord, let us be a place that we love, but we love in truth. Lord, let it be a place that we raise a generation that understands what it means to have a biblical worldview. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing here. We thank you for this church, and we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.